On today's live episode of the Bet the Process podcast, we are uh, interviewing some people from Sloan, and we do Ted Knutson and we do Jeffrey Yass. So, with that, let's start the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Welcome to the podcast. Bet the process. It's not that typical cookie cutter nonsense. If you came just for picks, you're in the wrong place. Find a out with the narrative to make a strong case. Instead of blindly assuming a team must be tanking, we're looking for the edge of Massey Peabody rankings. Crunching all the numbers in a simulated system that break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. The bottom line all right, welcome uh, to a live studio audience this is something we've always wanted to have a live studio audience just we make on sure come now normally i know we need we need like real clap lap. you didn't bring your clapping sign no i, I don't have a soundboard these so guys might though this is uh bet the process uh with rufus peabody and jeff ma and our special guest ted knutson so ted how's the the sloan conference been for you so far it, what's been the highlight Ooh. besides hanging out with me dinner last night definitely really yeah like dinner last night was awesome. Yeah, we had a nice dinner last night at um, a place called Uni. Not that you guys care about this. You care about many other things. Anyway, we, I saw Katie wait, Nolan. I, that was pretty cool. We talk about a lot of things that nobody cares about. I had a nice dinner at Uni, kind of too. I wasn't day. even at their table. I it's just happened true. to, by coincidence, <laughs> be at Uni at the adjacent table. <laughs> it was and kind of the problem it was is actually Jeff, slightly creepy that you showed up at that there. Well, I asked my waiter. I was like, what did Jeff order? Because I'm normally not used to being the one that orders for the table. And like when I go out to dinner with Jeff, he, he is that person. And he always orders really well, and I wanted to like. It's called I just, being a control freak. Yeah, yeah. it all works. So, uh, Jeff, did you meet Saquon Barkley this weekend? I met Saquon Barkley. Saquon Barkley turns out is a big fan of the movie Twenty One, and said he's watched it an, a bunch of times, um, and he wants me to take him to Vegas with and, and go gamble with him, which is pretty cool. So I now have his phone number. Um, I was actually going to tweet it out and dox him, <laughs> yeah, but I yeah. figured that would be a bad idea. Um, but yeah, no, I met Saquon Barkley. That's probably been. The highlight of, of, I mean, there's so many amazing people here that you meet. It's just, you know, you just sit in, there's like a speaker room, which is like the inside baseball thing. You just hang out in the speaker room, and like the people that walk through that speaker room are, it's incredible. So we're not going to poll the audience, but uh, raise your hand if you saw somebody you thought was pretty cool this weekend. Yeah, see, exactly. Well, they're looking at Rufus didn't raise his hand, so that's like terrible. Wait, I'm not in the audience. (laughs) Yeah, but you can be part of the. What's your highlight, buddy? What's my highlight? Yeah. Ooh, I don't know. I think Uni last night was probably up there. <laughs> no, no. My highlight was yesterday when um, I had shown my fiance the Mike Leach wedding video before. I don't know if you guys have seen this, but um, when he, you know, it's like um, the proper response when your fiance asks what your preferences are, and it's like, I don't care. Like, anyway, um, my fiance absolutely loved it. And I was like, I pointed out at, at the Liberty Hotel last night that Mike Leach was there. And she's like, we have to go talk to him about wedding advice. And so uh, she goes up to him at the bar and like gets his attention. And Mike Leach just goes on talking for like 10 straight minutes on a monologue I mean, about he's wedding like planning. A so he's, he's a amazing. wonderful human being. He's oh, very he's, nice. He's, he came to our dinner last year that we did at the end of the, at the, end of the conference. He unfortunately um, has gone home. He won't be at the one. We should probably so, stop fanboying for a minute and like actually talk about something sports It's, it's kind of what related. we do here though, right? Like that's, that's your whole podcast is inviting people on that you mostly like. And then you argue with them, and then Rufus, you know, kind of is the Rufus nice guy. says something like slightly confusing. <laughs> generally, you understood uh, that it was smart. Um, what did you guys think of the panel, the sports betting panel? I start with Rufus because he was live tweeting it. I was. I, I liked it. I thought it was an interesting, eclectic group, as you said, Jeff. Um, eclectic was a good word for that. I had to look it up, but I think I think that was fitting. I was hoping someone would ask. Uh, Yas a little bit more about what their actual plan well, he's was. He's about and to come on this I'm, podcast. I'm excited so you can about ask that. him whatever hear, like, you want. I mean, I've heard some stories from um, some, some betters about uh, some I mean, of the early issues they've had. I don't want to, I'm going to, I'll ask him when he comes on. But, um, so did you guys know about Jeffrey Yas at all? Like, did you get his background? Um, options trader, et cetera, et cetera. Someone and, tweeted out, by the way, that there were no, there was no one on our panel that actually bet. And Jeffrey Yas definitely bet. That's not true. Yeah. Uh, like he bets at a level that like probably none of those dipshits on Twitter are at. I, I would say that, you know, SIG is probably reasonably frisky. Then um, they, you know, European style uh, before Passport, maybe like around the prop. And just, just so everyone knows, Ted is like an insider. Ted worked for Pinnacle. 
Okay. That's he, done everything. He launched, he launched Pinnacle's live trading business in the NBA. So uh, this is like an OG real sportsbook <laughs> operator type. Sure. He, cl- he closed up all the loops that Haralabob was exploiting. We have had, yeah. Uh, so I they apologize. Hugged out, they hugged it out in the speaker room today. Though, for, so. for, the, for those well, they of you didn't hug it out because that would be Corona um, nonsensitive. What? Wait, he's here? Haralabob? No. Who? Yeah. yeah. Yes, Haralabob's here. Oh, really? Yeah, he was on a panel. Oh, was it this morning? No, it was yesterday. Yeah, oh. I, I wasn't here in the Way morning. Way to join the conversation. Uh, okay. That's all right. I have no idea where we were. You were talking about Jeffrey Yass. Oh, yeah, uh, so, so like SIG, SIG is, so there are sports hedge funds, and I don't know how familiar you guys are, are with this. Um, you know, I've worked inside of one of them, and then at Pinnacle we dealt with a lot of inbounds from them. Um, you know, the, their job is basically twofold. One, to, to model um, and predict the line, what the line should be, and then where there's value you take as much as possible or as much as appropriate, depending on how much uh, value there is there. And then the second part of that whole job is like finding a distributed sort of canon of liquidity. Like where do we find all of the liquidity possible so that we can get down as much as we can on lines that have an edge? And you know, for you know, some, some small leagues or whatever, like the NBA uh, is sort of small in worldwide volume. Maybe you're looking at, you know, what, 100, 200,000 a he, shot? He, he told me that there was in that, so I think he bets primarily on Betfair. Yeah. Um, and the exchange, and he said that in the Bucks Lakers game last night there was two million dollars traded, right? Of which they were roughly about three hundred k. Yeah, and so like that, that's a matching thing. It's it's fine. It's I guess live betting is different than single shots, right? Is that an in running or a that was all in running? Yeah. Okay. So that's like a totally different thing because like in running is is different sequence. So like it, you know, it's it's like trying to get down if if the Bucks were say minus three or something like that, like how much can I get down pregame without costing myself a significant edge? And, like, that's not that big a deal. But how much can I get down on each individual time that I get the opportunity to bet, usually at, at, uh, at breaks, like commercial breaks and stuff like that? Like, that's a, every one of those is a different series of bets. So right. the, the volume qu- calculations are weird, that's all. Anyway, for the Euros is coming up. You can probably get down, like, one to two million pounds uh, a game in pregame. World Cup, like, you're looking at how much is that in two dollars, to five. Please? It's a it's a really crappy exchange rate, so like one point three x something. So so one point three million on a game. No, that I mean t- two three times that. So. Oh wow! Yeah, World, World Cup lot. World Cup action is the most insane. Like it, it's the closest the the we get to real stock market sort of liquidity on trades. I'm real, whatever. Wait, Ted, can I ask you a question? How efficient is the World Cup betting market relative to like regular <laughs> terrible football? Uh, the, world, the World Cup is, is so weird, but part of it is that the models are not as good. So, like, the, you don't have as high an end. You don't have, like, all the interlinkages between teams because it's internationals, right? So because of that, that means that, you know, the, the lines are more likely to be off. If you're pretty good at handicapping and, and have, like, a decent um, underlying math model, you can make an awful lot of money on the World Cup. Is it kind of like the Super Bowl where the, you just have so many recreational bettors and people that don't normally bet? betting that the lines there just isn't enough sharp money to make the number efficient yeah i I think that's generally true but also just you know when the line starts to be when it starts out really wrong it takes a lot more money and effort to move that to a right spot and sometimes it'll never get there so like it's actually the the market's so why is the origination so wrong again because the the models don't have uh reasonable amounts of accuracy and for, because it's small end. Like it's like the all-star teams, right? Essentially, right? What's I mean, that? It's, it's because you don't have... It, it, it's if you put, like, half the players from... Actually, that's... A, well, half the players from... Uh, it took some players from the Philadelphia Eagles, some from the Redskins. Well, actually, scratch that. Nobody from the Redskins would make it to the football equivalent <laughs> of the World Cup. But, um, right, I mean, you basically have this team chemistry thing. You're, you like, really finding know. all these different ways to say all-star team? You just said yeah. all-star team. Yeah. We'll, we'll but, flip but, it around. But it, like, do college, actually, college football, right? Like, that, that's, a, that's a line... Every year, we never get that big of an end, and the smaller college teams have much less scrutiny, and you can't bet on them as big because they have it's you know the, they know that the lines are as wrong, but you never get to a point where. But then like, where, you're does, super where does there. the edge where does the edge come from? Then how do you how do you get the edge if like no one has any sample size to build real models? Uh, it's, it's a combination. So it's it's a hybrid betting system where you have a better model than the bookie or whoever opened the lines. And then you're able to, to then use intelligence on top of it. Like, say there are two or three injuries that came in, or this guy didn't get selected. For whatever reason, the English national team on the women's side does not select their best player. I don't know why. So like, she's, she's in the team, but Beth England still is not playing regularly. 
Um, and, and so like you have to adapt based on that. So like team strength versus individual uh, indicators. Interesting. Uh, what else on the panel interested you? Um, in the sports betting panel? Yeah, my Let's panel. See. It's the only one um, Your interaction with Matthew Barry seemed to, you know, there seemed to be some fireworks there. He never yeah, answered he's been your question. Me, he's been driving me crazy all He never answered your question if he could beat uh, NFL he, player he prop market. He know, he's, he's told me he doesn't think he can. And, and the question I think that I was trying to get to, and I did not want it to become like me and Matthew just arguing because that's what it was about to become, was really about what responsibility the media has to actually like, like think about. And, and this is the same for financial markets, right? Like someone on CNBC that's like touting a stock, like they Kramer. have some level, what's that? Jim like Kramer. Jim Kramer, yeah, they, they have some responsibility. Now, Jeffrey Yass basically said like, I don't care because he's not gonna listen to that and he's gonna use that information, potentially that inefficiency that that might create and exploit that. But the average fan may follow some of this advice um, without fully knowing. And I guess the thing that I was trying to get to that, I, that they never really got to was any time that something becomes very big, there's the scrutiny on that thing becomes much bigger also. And when that happens, things that were formerly okay are no longer okay. And so what are those things that won't, won't be okay? So, I mean, just uh, an example of what you're saying um, you know, remember the DFS, uh, the Bachelor contestant who won or his wife won the Millionaire Maker? And, you know, I think a few years ago there wouldn't have been the scrutiny on that for the, the whole collusion thing. And now, um, I guess because DFS is big, because of uh, DraftKings' position in how much do you think the, the How much do you think the fact market. that they were Bachelor contestants were, was the factor in the scrutiny? Uh, uh, you know, I have no idea, but... I mean, if there I, were I just two, a random couple, would have people have cared nearly as much? Rufus, can you beat Bachelor contestants at NFL props? Can I? Yeah, I, I don't know. I haven't tried. Oh, come on. Have a, grow a pair over there. Can you beat Matthew Barry at NFL props? Ooh. Um, Ooh no that comments. would be good. I bet you could. I like that. Beat the process. Beat, beat the, yeah, beat the, beat Barry. Beat Barry. Yeah, I think you could. You don't think you could? I mean, is he here? <laughs> I mean, he's in the room like a couple doors over. I can text him and tell him to come over and you can say in front of his face. Okay, I, th I think I could. So my follow-up question. I would, okay, here's, here's the thing. If you could bet on Matthew Berry or on Rufus for a set of props, which side would you take? Wait, but, I, I would take Rufus all day. This is not but Matthew Berry said he has coaches. He gets information from assistant coaches. And but it, it, listen, I don't get that. half of his information, like we went through this together. Like he told me a bunch of the stories. And it's one of those cases where like half of it is totally useless, meaning like it's the wrong information, and half of the time it's it's great. So that that's a huge thing about modeling that you know Rufus and I have talked about at various times. Like you know sorting through what matters and what doesn't is really important. Now I think my follow up question on the Matthew Berry thing was like if the if the props are too vigged, how often can you beat those props anyway, right? Like if you're paying like you know ten percent, fifteen percent margin on every NFL prop, they've got to be really wrong in order for you to. Well, Actually, what's ten percent, fifteen percent margin? Yeah, so like the, like um, are there props with minus ten minus one ten is like what five percent big, right? Yeah, yeah. So Roughly. like if you're looking at one twenty, one twenty, one thirty, one thirty. Well, but Rufus is anybody booking minus one twenty, minus one twenty, minus one thirty? Yes, I'm sure anybody, there are people. Yeah. But Rufus is running around Vegas finding like good value on these things. Okay, so he's, he's doing that. That's thing. why he's in such good shape. Yeah, he's got good metabolism. Um, <laughs> so. Wait, so I have, I have a question for you guys. When we were talking about, they were talking about the concept of player props being like a good onboarding onto, like from a fantasy player onto traditional sports betting. Do you guys believe that's true? I.e., is that like one way that you could actually grow more casual bettors is by having prop bets? I think you want as big a funnel as possible, but I think that, honestly, all right, so... I was so angry at this for so long after uh, Ugia hit. I'm like, look at the newspaper. The spread is in every single newspaper. It's on ESPN every single weekend. People want to bet on that. It's very simple. You guys all understand the spread. Yeah? You don't understand necessarily player props, but you all understand the spread. You all understand, like, I don't understand fantasy. Like, that's not my game. I, I get asked to do fantasy in, in English Premier League all the time. Like, it's a different set of rules. I don't care. We might be good at it. It's not relevant. But you guys get the spread and you get the money line. That's it. That's all you need to know, right? So, like, I'm happy to bet on that. You don't need any special training wheels. You might need things that are more interesting. And you need to pay the lowest price you can. 
you need to actually feel like, hey, I can win these once in a while. And if you hit 52 and a half at minus 110, like you're gonna break even, you do a little bit better than that, and over your history, you'll be fine. And plenty of you can do that if they offer that to you. The challenge right now that didn't get hit on this panel, but you know, Yas is, is surely pushing for it, is hey, give us something that we can beat, right? Like give us something that seems like it's a, it's a fair thing so that people aren't getting gouged by the bookies. But the thing with the, the whole the whole gist of that panel, and it's, it's my fault because I'm the one that you know, designed the questions and whatnot, is it's not the direction the U.S. is going. No. Right? The U.S. is going much more, like, in 10 years, I see the market being much, it's much more likely that it's just a completely recreational market than it is supporting any people like Jeffrey Yass. For- well, Yass yeah, seems pretty optimistic that actually it could turn into um, sort of a, a bigger market with an exchange model. I mean, he was... I liked, you know, he mentioned he didn't have, like, evidence for that. No, he basically but, was just like, this is what it should be. It's not that he believed that there was a path to that. The there's exchange no, model is no, politically... There's no path to it right now. No, there's the, no path. Because, there, because there, the there isn't, Right, there isn't, there's nothing on the table right now, but I think at some point the Wire Act will be looked at again and because there's just too much money for them not to look at but it. But the exchange model is the politically efficient way of saying we need to have low VIG sports betting, Right. Right. And, and it's easy to say, oh, yeah, it's between two betters. No, it's fucking not, people. It's between a market maker that probably has a giant bankroll and somebody who wants to bet at the cheapest price possible. That's how that actually works. I don't know if anybody knows that, but that's the reality of it. But because all of the Europeans came over here, have spent a lot of money marketing, a lot of money uh, you know, lobbying to have things the way they want, and because there's no centralized uh, set of regulations, we're in a spot where the customer seems like they're going to be in trouble because, like, the Europeans are going to get their way. Or, or the European sort of bookie owners, that, that is what's happening. Well, I mean, but I think eventually over time, right, some of the incumbents are going to lose and innovation's going to, you know, like, I think over time we're going to get some innovation. That is a remarkably naive opinion. I do not see that at all. And I see that's been pushed out in Europe. Like the tax regulations do not allow you to do that. I don't, I don't see there's any indicator outside of like American ingenuity that suggests that that will be the case. You've lived in... How, how are you defining innovation? Yeah. And I'm I, jaded. No, I, 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 the other, the other way. I existed in, in like the Asian betting sphere. So like I, I know what it could be, but I don't see any indicators that it'll get there. But what do you mean by innovation in this case? Like more markets, more. Are we talking projects? about Jeff is talking about? Innovation. I don't know. Well, I mean, innovation so, is this big word, I, but I don't know what I it mean, means in this context. You can look it up. It's not that big. <laughs> um, How about cognitive? Innova- so innovation. So there, there's. I'm probably mixing two things up. Okay, that that's fair. So on the one hand, I agree with you that the path that we're going down right now is towards like high margin recreational betting. Right, the people that are getting the skins, you know, sitting with with Kip Levin from from FanDuel and you know, talking to the William Hill guys about, like, how big their whole percentage is. It's, it's, it's not going towards a world where they want to do what you said that they should be doing, which is, like, give me something I should beat. And this is always something that's kind of, like, at the core of, like, arguments that Rufus and I have because, you know, I came from a world where I got banned playing blackjack. And, like, it didn't seem fair, but it was, the, it was like, I was not uh, – living up to their end of the expectation, which was that I was paying entertainment money, and so I wasn't paying that, and so they didn't want to allow me to play blackjack anymore, and I just had to kind of accept that, that casinos weren't there for me to make money in, they were there for them to make money in. And likewise, the sports books are not designed for sports bettors to make money. Hang They're, on, that's, that's not true. These sports books are not designed for that. But anyone is not because the sports book has to make money somehow. Even if it's, it's an exchange, there's not value being created by betting. There's value actually that you're always going to be extracting value out of that money, out of that. Well, right, right. But right get, now, what yeah, we yeah. have is not economically efficient. I mean, think. Let's say Floyd Mayweather wants to bet a million dollars with me at minus one ten, and I can. You know, I don't want a million dollar position. I want a five hundred thousand dollar position. I go and I offer somebody else five hundred thousand at like plus one oh seven or something. Right. And then like in that situation, if I'm the book, like I'm actually making like, uh, you know, I'm giving a, a bet that's much better than market price to, to somebody else. But it's um, I'm you know, there's I'm making money on that, though. And so why shouldn't I take that big bet? Like if there's somebody that's willing you, to take the other what, side but, there. But if I mean, there's that's, someone that's willing to take it at minus at plus minus one ten also, why would you? You know what I mean? Saying like you're no. you're you're saying like out of the goodness of their heart. They should just take a little bit of edge versus a lot of edge when they when they 
the, the, the my, classic model right now allows them to take a lot of edge. No, right, right. But my point is, let's say they don't, it, it's risk tolerance. Let's say they don't want a million dollar position here. They only want a $500,000 position. They can still take a million dollar bet and just offload that risk and still be making money by doing so. I, I think that Jeffrey S. will probably cover it himself, but I, I think that his point is that if this operated more like a financial market, it would be, one, there's, there's money in it. And if you get enough volume, like, there's a lot. And I can tell you, like, that trillion, trillion dollar a year idea is if there's liquidity. And it gets a lot faster to do that if you're allowed to take bigger bets, which obviously, you know, pinnacle liquidity was, was quite different than I'm sure what you see with all of these guys. But Bet365 liquidity is absolutely massive because they're worldwide. They've done this for a very long time. They have connections that people don't really talk about that are on the gray market, but yeah. But I mean, isn't, that's, the, that's the interesting one, right? Like Bet365 <laughs> uh -oh. coming into this. What have I said? <laughs> no, but the, them coming in, they're, they're, they got licensed in New Jersey, right? I don't and, know how. Well, I mean, they got licensed in New Jersey. Yeah. And that's, that's enough that you need to know that they're probably going to be able to enter the U.S. market, or however. So they're going to offer a very good recreational product, but they're not going to offer you guys what they were forced to offer in Asia because of market conditions at the time. Okay. So what's the, I mean, is it just bleak? I mean, should any of these people that want to become professional sports better, should they just not? I, I think that it's a really challenging space, and I, I as much as I would Should have, Rufus try to get a real job? <laughs> I'm not sure Rufus is cut out for a real job. Uh, that's a good point. He doesn't think he's marketable for a real job. We've had this, con like, we've had this meta conversation on the podcast. It's very sad. How about Do you? we have to go here again? What? How about me? What do you mean? <laughs> real yeah, what's your job? Your, your job is bet the process co-host. Co I really like that's, that. Like, that's my moniker. I, this, this I don't, whole, my thing this doesn't whole say bet the process. Mine doesn't either. It doesn't actually have anything beyond just your name. So before yeah. you guys walked in, before Jeff walked in late, um, somebody <laughs> asked about like, how do the bookies and or the hedge funds like, get rolling on the models and where do they get the information and the data and stuff like that. And the fact of the matter is it's kind of funny. Like, the teams are doing the same thing. right? Like, if you're a modeler for uh, bookies or if you're a modeler for um, you know, the teams, like you're usually using the same sort of data. The bookies will uh, incorporate more external market information. Like wh what we do in whenever we came to a new sport was try to build a market implied model. So you look at all of the closing gambling lines and, uh, and then you build interlinkages between them and you try and figure out sort of what the team ratings look like there. But it's mostly based off of the same types of information. I, I do wonder if any of the teams out there are using gambling information because often that's going to be one of the sharpest indicators as to actual team strength and do they, they line up against that. But it's, you know, the, the data space and the, the, what the teams want to do. Wait, this is like self-serving. No, no, I'm, I'm telling you. I'm not talking about, I don't, I don't own a data company or anything. No. But no, it, I, it was an actual question. Somebody wanted to know about that. And, and really, you want the best data possible to model on either side of that space because you want to be more accurate, you want to understand how the game works better, and you want to know what is important in there so that that reflects in your, in your predictions. So this is like a really good macro conversation. Like, ultimately... Like the value, I, I always say like the best place to create a competitive moat in um, analytics is by having just better data yeah. than anyone else. Like don't worry about models, blah, blah, blah. If you just have better data or data that no one else has, that's the start. Like and Saquon Barkley's phone number in your phone? Well, no, but like what I find interesting is like this whole coronavirus thing, not to, not to be too meta on this thing, but it's the classic example of like, the inputs in the system being really bad, yeah. right? Like we don't have any real good data to understand what the F is going on. So people are just freaked out. And, you know, if it is being underdiagnosed, which I think clearly it is, there's two things. One, more people have it. And two, um, the mortality rate is lower. Mortality so, rate's lower, but it's also a lot more places. Yeah. Yeah. And right now they're not even, they're, the CDC isn't reporting the number of tests. So we don't actually know the denominator. We know how many people have tested positive out of the people that have been tested, but we don't know how many people have been tested. Yeah, so we just know it's data. not a lot. Yeah, important. data is important. So For maybe start a data company. Pandemics or sports betting or any of that. We should ask when Jeff. So Jeffrey Yass just walked in, and he's going to uh, actually replace Ted in in a couple minutes. Um, but we'll have to ask him where he gets his data. That's true. Maybe he could become a new customer of, of <laughs> Statsbomb. No, no, no. He just bets on exchanges. It's fine. So wait, I want, I want to ask Ted a question really quickly. Ted, what are you doing to hedge yourself against the coronavirus risk here? Uh, like what happens to StatsBomb if football matches are canceled? So it's, it's basically taking me a pandemic in order to start worrying about the business again. Because like we've had a, a really good trajectory and we've been picking up customers like crazy. But we are also, like, especially in the soccer space, uh, teams are still, like, we're 
we're optional budget, right? Uh, maybe they're making an investment, but they're not 100% sure that like, we're useful. And these teams, much like almost every other business that's out there right now, are facing you know, cash flow issues in the future if they can't have match day income. And all of our customers outside of the gamblers uh, are basically, it's important for them to have butts in the seats every single day. So it's a, it's a challenging space and I have lots of concerns. Right. Okay. You got anything else? Parting words? Jeffrey, you want to come join us up here? Come on up. Uh, thanks for listening, and it's always good to see you guys. It's good to see you, too. Thanks, Ted. <laughs> All right. Uh, now we welcome in uh, Jeffrey Yass, who is uh, the founder of SIG Susquehanna. We just did a panel together here at Sloan around sports betting, um, where Jeffrey was talking a lot about the need for an exchange. Um, and I think it was very provocative, um, at least for me and, and for others. Um, you know, what, was there anything that you didn't get a chance to say on that panel that you uh, wish you had, had been able to say? Well, a little bit I wanted to add, uh, the minnow shark problem that Daily Fantasy has. Uh, there are some games like poker where if you're a bad player, you're gonna lose a lot of money fast. You know, that's what uh, uh, happened to the minnows. If you're a terrible craps player, uh, you're about the same as the world's best craps player. Everybody loses a half a percent or whatever. There's some bets that are a little bit worse. But well, for the most I, part, I mean, I don't know. If that's not what you told me, that. Jeff. There's some really bad craps players. Like people that play the field or play tons of like the horn. Or, <laughs> like you can just sit and bet pass line and take max odds. Yeah. And that's a very close to even game. Right. right. Yeah. And, okay. and even people that don't take max odds, it just kills me. Like, it's, it's whatever. Anyways, <laughs> but, yeah, you, hit a, you hit a hot button. Okay, no, hot button. There's some variance in craft. I can teach anyone to be the world's greatest crafts player in one sentence. So uh, if you want to learn, it's an easy game. You can't win, but you can lose at a, at a slower rate. Poker. It's a fine way to spend time in Vegas. I'm not. I feel dumb. I don't think craps. it's that easy. Jeff has to reteach me the rules every time we play crafts together. That's because you don't pay attention. <laughs> Uh, but at, uh, at poker, it would take a long time before you're not going to be losing a ton of money. If there were exchanges uh, in sports betting and the markets were as tight as I would expect them to be, if you look at the markets on uh, Matchbook or Betfair today, they're you know, a half a percent, a percent wide. doesn't matter how little you know. You can't lose more than a half a percent or a percent. Uh, you know, the smartest guy and the dumbest guy are going to get approximately the same price. So you're protected by the pros who make the price right. So you get your entertainment and you don't have to know anything. While in fantasy, if you want your entertainment and you don't know what you're doing, you could be losing 20 or 30% on, uh, on your tickets. And that's what exchanges and that's what markets do for people. You know, I, I think of the you know, people who invest in the stock market. Uh, if you listen to financial economists and you just bought a broad, uh, a diversified portfolio of stocks and you did it in an index fund that charged you know, essentially no fees, you've made a, a ton of money over the last uh, you know, you know, 20, 30, 40 years, and you have absolutely no knowledge of what you're buying. You don't know the 500 stocks that you're buying, but the market gives you that fair deal because people, professional speculators, are battling it out in each of those stocks. So when you actually go to buy those stocks, you're getting a fair price because it's battled out by speculators. So all of investing is based on the fact that you don't have to know anything about the stock market to turn it into a good bet. And in sports betting, we're never going to be able to turn it into a good bet, but we can turn it into an almost fair bet. And it doesn't matter. Even if you know nothing, you're going to be uh, protected. But okay, that, you're saying, isn't that analogy? I mean, I, I, and you did make the distinction, but I think it's important to make that distinction, which is that in the stock market, there's value creation. Yeah. So it's like a positive sum, positive EV situation to buy into it, whereas right. sports betting is the opposite, right? Well, it depends. You know, in, in a dollar sense, yeah, uh, the stock market is positive EV. The sports betting is a, is a zero-sum game, but you've got to count the entertainment value. I mean, if I'm betting $100 on a game and it costs me 50 cents or a dollar and I get three hours of thrills, that's a fantastic do you, return. Do you sweat games? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh, yeah. So you'll do you have know, any money you, on the golf you tournament know, right now? Do you know at any given point everything that you guys have? Sometimes I know and sometimes I don't, and then uh, I'll, I'll sweat it in if uh, I know what we have. You know, so. How do you avoid knowing? 
I don't ask. The, you know, my, uh, my sons do it, and they know it aggravates me when they, they lose. They try not to tell me a lot of times uh, what, what we actually have. Uh, That's awesome. But, I, but you know, like tomorrow's <laughs> golf, I'll say, who do we got? You know, if I'm home watching. This is, like a, this is like in those uh, magazines when they're like celebrities, they're just like us. Like Jeffrey Yass is just like <laughs> us. He sweats games also. Yeah, that's good to know. So, and when you have you know the Phoenix Portland game and you're sweating it at uh, one o'clock in the morning, you know you're sick. You know. <laughs> I mean that. That's like the what's the worst? I, I always think about that. What's the worst thing to tell someone that you're sweating? You know, they're like, like when when you know my wife comes by and sees me watching like some you know, M-A-A-C game where there's like literally seven people in the stands. She's like, well, why are you watching this? So, still hasn't figured it out. But were you a question? I was going to ask, um, Jeffrey, how, how did you get started um, with uh, Sigrid in Susquehanna? Like, how did, what, what, how did you go about building out um, what you guys are doing right now? And how is that, Susquehanna or the yeah. sports betting part? No, the sports betting part of it. Uh, like, well, once uh, we thought that uh, the Supreme Court would uh, overturn uh, the you know, PASPA, uh, we saw how that would be a tremendous opportunity in the United States. We saw how big the market caps of stocks were in Europe, the big bookmakers, you know, particularly Betfair and, pa and stuff. And we said, well, the United States would be much, much bigger. It's a natural uh, extension of our business. It's, uh, it's market making, it's buying and selling, it's mathematical, it's trying to figure it out. And, uh, you know, we also have the advantage that, you know, we have a lot of guys who love sports at uh, Susquehanna. And you guys are just a partnership or something? Like, yeah. So you didn't have a board or anything to have We have to no outside money. Yeah, so you just could make that decision. We can do it, yeah. How much, um, like, legal, how much did you have to think about things legally and structuring it and make sure that it was all compliant? Yeah, I was a bit, you know, in, in Dublin, it's pretty easy. We're still working through it in the United States. It's a gigantic hassle. And we're not licensed yet. We're waiting to be licensed and stuff. So, uh, uh, What do you know. have to be? You have to be licensed as a fund? We have to be licensed as like a betting entity. Or, and we're possibly going to buy some skins also. So you got to go through the, the gaming boards and stuff, you know. So oh, that's that's news right there. They're gonna buy some skins. I like. Yeah. That. I like that we're breaking news on our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, in in that case, if you buy skins, you're basically gonna do kind of like trade from within those skins. Yeah. That's I mean, are you cool. mostly seeding markets right now, like Betfair? But see, this and... is the answer now. Like, if he buys, if he buys a bunch of skins, there's gonna be liquidity for you to bet, and you don't yeah. have to get a real job. Sounds good. Yeah. There we go. Well, Perfect. not if the wire is still that. there. It's only in one state. Ooh. Yeah? Oh, yeah. Yeah, but how much do you pay? What's that? <laughs> uh, how do you... So that's a good question, though. Like, so, actually, the, you, Susquehanna itself is the pioneers in options trading, right? They, they, are, they are, you know, and, and options trading is all about sort of estimating volatility, edge, blah, blah. Um, what, you know, when you were sort of building that out, you know, this, this is even before there was like this real quant movement, right? So you guys were at the cutting edge before there, there wasn't even, the term data scientist wasn't even a thing at that point, no. right? So how did you guys look to recruit out your team and like what were, what were the things, the attributes you looked for? Well, we looked for what people were, you know, mathematically inclined. And before you become a trader at Susquehanna, you learn how to play poker. So we have a couple of months training in poker because we think the analogy between being a poker player and a trader, uh, the same kind of decision-making theory, is, uh, is very similar. So we just don't want to take some brilliant mathematician, put him and let him trade and be naive and not realize uh, uh, what's going on in the marketplace. So we found that poker was the best way to, uh, uh, to uh, you know. So did you have Wait, My, you my have experience with poker players is that they're generally losing betters, and I've gotten a lot of accounts that I've been able to keep a lot longer than I would have otherwise because <laughs> poker players were, were betting on those accounts before. It's remarkable that a guy who grinds out at poker and is a pro could go out and lose money betting sports. But, yeah. but I think this poker is the players classic. are much more gamblers than sports betters. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's, it's interesting, though. Like, so what, what do you think the skill set that you saw, or that, what were you hoping to develop most of? Ha so you would have them literally play poker with each other? Yeah. Like Hold'em or what? Or it, variety became, games? it started out as seven-card stud. That's how, but then Hold'em became the game. So now it's Hold'em. And so would you... 
have them play with their own money? Would you stake them? No, uh, they wouldn't have to lose their own money. We would play, and then at the end of the hand, we turn over the cards and say, what were you thinking? Explain your strategy. Why did you make this move? Why did you not make this move? And they had to articulate it and break it down and say, I thought there was X percent chance of this, so therefore this play was correct. And, so, you you, it, so it was a lot about probabilities then? Yeah, it was all process. <laughs> Got it. Interesting. So what, are, what were some other things you did? Poker, how long did you do the poker thing for? Still do it. You know, uh, we have the great Bill Chen here today. Uh, he wrote the uh, Mathematics of Poker, the leading poker book uh, for mathematicians uh, in the world. Right. And he teaches them the, uh, the kids how to play uh, poker. Wow, that's cool. So what did you find, like what were some attributes that you found um, were leading indicators for who would be good traders besides the poker stuff? Uh, we really liked uh, people who uh, you know, had a little bit of an entrepreneurial uh, streak to them. Like they, they made some money at fantasy or they figured out some uh, uh, thing on their own. So they found a hole. They found a hole somewhere. And yeah. they figured, and they, you know, and it, was, it wasn't certain, uh, but they were uh, clever enough to, uh, you know, to find it, and that's the way they were thinking. We always you know, asked the question, you know, if, if you're watching a football game and you didn't smash your foot into the TV set when your team didn't go for it on fourth and one. If you did, if you were frustrated by that, then you're the kind of guy we want. You know, so who, who was watching a game and realized this is a probabilistic game and these coaches are making these horrible decisions. If that aggravates you, we like that. That's awesome. Other things? Um, how about in terms of uh, the, as you guys started to build into the sports betting business, how did you guys start to develop your edge there? Uh, well, uh, the only betting we do right now is out of Dublin because we're not licensed in the United right, States. Yeah. So uh, the models that we built were similar to option models that uh, you know that you would build. And you guys I, use Black Shoals? Well, not not this, but same concept. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the our major uh, uh, focus is on in-game betting because we think the in-game betting is much more mathematical and much more uh, uh, you know uh, counterintuitive what the odds are. Uh, you know, the pregame stuff, you, you can be a sports fan, you just know it. But do you really know when your team's down by six in the second quarter of a basketball game what that chances have gone to? It's not obvious. It really can't be done by instinct or feel. So it has to be done by modeling. It has to be done by collecting the data. And we spend an enormous amount of time doing that. So there's a lot of, I mean, you guys are obviously coming up with these in-game in win probability models. But there's a lot of other groups out there doing that. And I think at some point, like, do you think it's, going to be so efficient that basically everybody's got essentially the same number? It will be pretty close, you know. Uh, but the great thing about in-game is that when you really get to the end, you got to know sports. It's like uh, that field goal kicker is not the same field goal. You know, it's not like, you know, from the 50-yard line, you're 62% to make it. It varies, you know, on a lot. Is it cold? Is it windy? And uh, not from the beginning of the game, is it cold? Is it windy right now? And uh, is that kicker a good 50-yard field goal kicker or, you know, or, or below average? So you really got to know the details. Uh, you know, when Carson Wentz goes down in the uh, uh, Eagles playoff game, it's like, okay, what's the line now? You know, the Eagles were seven-point underdogs or whatever to Seattle. Now he's down. You know, you got to make that adjustment in, you know, in, in 30 seconds. And you got to know sports to do that. There's no mathematician that's going to help you on that. And that's the part we love, that it's, it's, it's mathematically based, but you got to be a, a sports guy. Yeah, you have to think about things in a certain way. Yeah. So are these simulation-based models that you build at this point then? Mainly, yeah. Especially for end-of-game scenarios, I feel like anything inference-based is going to be very difficult. But the trader, it's the same way that we trade options in Susquehanna. We have a much more, you know, it's not a black box. It's, uh, you know, we have the models, but the traders are crucial in overturning it when it doesn't make sense or there's, a, there's an unusual situation. It's the same thing in sports. Uh, <clears throat> Uh, this is what you thought before the game. Now all these things are happening. You got to make an adjustment, and most of those adjustments are subjective. So uh, uh, you know uh, you got to just make the right bet, and hopefully your judgment is better than the markets. So in your time, um, I guess trading out of Dublin, um, Sig, what has been the worst? Like, what is one big mistake you've made? Like where you've lost a lot of money on something, and you said, and then afterwards you're like, well, we didn't. Um, we, didn't we thought something, right. and we were incorrect. Uh, we always underestimated the probability of a comeback, that the team that's way behind uh, is more likely to win 
than our models said. The market knew it, our models didn't. And we were always, you know, like we got crammed in the Super Bowl when, uh, when, Kansas, when Kansas City came back. And that's the typical game we lose a lot of money on, that uh, uh, these long shots happen more often than they're supposed to. And uh, we lost a lot to that, and, you know, we're, you know, recalibrating. Wait, so why do you, why do you think that, that you underestimated that? I mean, like, you're just doing this on past data, right? So... Jeff, I've had, the same, I've had the same issue with my second app betting models. They typically underestimate the probability of a comeback. But I, th I, I thought, like, you know, you and I were talking about this, you know, and we were talking about that there being a theoretical edge there. So this is like a really, this is a classic modeling problem, right? Like, why, when do you stay with the process, right? Or when do you go back and change things? And what is ultimately made you change things. So it certainly can't be the Super Bowl. It's got to be Before, more than that. Well, let's say, you know, the model, just to be simplistic, just says a team up by 11 with 10 minutes to go wins 92% of the time. There aren't enough samples that the other team has Mahomes, <laughs> you know, and he's not, you know, uh, you know, it's, it, he's different. Same thing, you know, uh, Brady's probability of scoring from the 25-yard line with a two-minute warning going 75 yards is dramatically different than any other quarterback, you know, uh, you know, even Rodgers or, uh, uh, or Drew Brees. So, you, you know. But uh, I, I so would, wait, I would actually like, I would just guess, right, that the market would tend to overestimate the value of like a Mahomes and a Brady when really like they're not. I mean, they're better obviously than the average quarterback, yeah. but is, are they going to be as good as? The, like, that would be actually be counterintuitive. Right. Well, that's what we thought, <laughs> and that's how we lost. We're saying, well, okay, every, every casual better thinks Mahomes is going right. to do it, but he really can. As it turns out, the casual better's instinct is pretty good. There's a lot of pros who are selling it down, too, so you're competing with them. And as it turns out, it's unclear, but it turns out that just the guy who says Mahomes is going to do it is kind of right, and all the Quanti guys are kind of wrong. So you're saying that you know, for two games that both have a spread of minus three and a total of 51, there's a very different probability of one team coming back in a certain situation. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And every fan, if you're just a fan, you know that. If you're a mathematician, you may get it wrong. So in your, um, what's interesting is like the subjective nature that your traders have to have, right? And so how do you test for that as it pertains specifically to sports? Because while there probably is some correlation to what they do as regular traders of options, there's also probably some differences, right? Like I would think that sports it tends to be more emotional than potentially than options trading. It's probably pretty easy to be dispassionate in options yeah. trading, whereas when you're watching human beings do something, there's biases that are going to come in. So how do you no, try that, to... No, that's a good point. It's not the same skill set. It's similar. You've know, you got to be a probabilistic thinker under uncertainty and react fast. But uh, Have you had to fire any of the traders on the sports side or, or pull them away from that because oh, yeah. they just weren't good at it? Yeah. And what were some reasons? Like, do you, Did you figure out why? You know, a little bit of like, this is my team. It's like you got emotional, this is your team. Mm -hmm. Or uh, a little bit you were naive, like uh, you didn't realize that you're betting against somebody who's clearly a pro and you got too confident in your opinion and the other guy... Uh, uh, is smarter than you. You know, all of, uh, you know, sports betting, all of uh, playing poker, all of options trading is making sure you're, you're betting against someone you're smarter than and you're not always smarter than the other guy. And if you're not asking yourself, am I, you know, the sucker or, you know, right. am I the fish? Uh, and you get arrogant, you get crushed. And that happens to us all the time. And we have to, you know, weed out the guys who are too arrogant. Well, that, so in... Uh, where, where, where does the future life, where, 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 where do you see this going for you guys? Are you going to get licensed in the U.S.? Um, do you think that you will be trying to do this in all sports? Uh, yeah. What we're really hoping, as we talked about on the, uh, on the panel, is we're really hoping that the wire echo goes away, which prevents interstate betting. There's one exchange, or there's exchanges, but uh, like there is in Europe, and the markets are uh, much, much tighter, and the volume is much, much greater. That's our hope, but we got to win some legislative battles to get there, and I don't know if we are or not. Are so, you trying to influence those? Not really. I mean, you know, we just hope, you know, that's why I'm talking here to tell you people to get out there and, you know, lobby your congressman. You know, you have a right to bet, you know, uh, 
uh, for the 1% VIG, not a 5% VIG. Uh, donate you know, to the American so Betters I, Coalition, the, please. The, the obvious once, once question, we get started. The obvious, interest, the obvious question that, that I think about is, you're clearly a very successful man. You've built a really successful company. You've clearly profited from that. This motivation that you have around the sports stuff cannot be financially motivated. Uh, partially, but uh, we call it an MFG. It's a mission from God. Uh, <laughs> that uh, the world deserves rational markets to, to have the great entertainment that sports betting uh, could afford. We're uniquely qualified, we think, to get it there. And I expect to make a lot of money. I mean, you know, it's, this isn't a hobby. Right. But even if I didn't, I would still do it because the world deserves to be able to bet uh, sports in a, in, a, uh, you know, in a reasonable manner. That's, I like that. I like this guy. MFG. Okay. <laughs> Maybe he'll be part of your nonprofit that you want to do. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. He's trying to do a nonprofit. And, um, I think we've talked about it a lot. To do what? No, he uh, hasn't oh, talked about yeah, that much. Not, not with Jeffrey, but um, it's called the American Betters Coalition. What we want to do is give betters a voice in the legal sports betting landscape. Right now, all these bills are being written by um, legislators that don't know uh, squat about sports betting. And guess who's educating them? The operators, the data providers, the leagues, casinos, um, you know, B2Bs, and betters are, do not have a voice here. And so you yeah. see a lot of, uh, a lot of laws um, and bills passed that do not make any real sense. Like in New Hampshire, for example, DraftKings gets a, a monopoly there, and they're paying, I think, a 51% tax rate. Is that right? Yeah. And, uh, right, whereas next door in Vermont, I think there's going to be a bunch of different um, licenses and a lower tax rate. And, you know, what, what uh, incentive is there to innovate in New Hampshire for DraftKings if they... If if they just have a captive audience, and, and, and honestly, people can go over to Vermont, um, and you know, I think that they thought with the 51% tax rate they'd be making more money. This the state would, but I, I don't. I, I think with what we've seen with New Jersey and how successful they've been with a lower tax rate and a bunch of different, um, a bunch of different skins, um, that that a competitive marketplace is better off is better for both consumers and for the states. Uh, well, I would say it's definitely better for the consumers, and I don't really care about the states, <laughs> you know. But the states care. That's the yeah, the states care about the states, but the people have to speak up and say, uh, you know, why does this act give? Do I have to give money to the government? If I go to a movie, I don't have to pay the government. Uh, why, if I bet a sports game, do I have to pay a different rate? And uh, you know, so so I thought I, it was really interesting um, during you guys' panel the discussion of of how price discriminating betters are, and that's kind of. One thing that, I mean, I struggle with, the fact that I, I, I mean, with, especially with this nonprofit, we want to help out betters, but a lot of times betters don't really care if they're laying minus 120 or minus 115. How do you sort of reconcile that with sort of going towards this exchange model and being able to make an exchange friendly to the recreational better? Yeah, it's bizarre to us that people aren't as price sensitive as, you, as we, would have, we would have guessed, but I would think that just over time, uh, you know, smart consumers are going to go to the exchange. It's going to be better and cheaper, and the consumers that aren't that uh, concerned or price centers will just naturally gravitate there, and they'll benefit from uh, from the people who did the hard work of getting the exchanges set up and uh, the smart consumer. Same way when you buy a car. I buy a car. I don't know how it works, but there's a lot of uh, people that do, and they pressure the car companies to give me a good car, so I benefit off of them, even though I don't know how a car works. Uh, so the people will just notice, hey, you know, their friend bets loses a dollar on a hundred, not five. And I think over time, uh, I, and I think it'll gravitate. Be, it, it's just like you were saying about like the culture of the society being innumerate versus not. Like, I think people just don't understand the math behind the difference between one, minus one twenty yeah. or minus one ten, and so they don't care. But I think over time, as they see the difference, right? It's just like when you, I forgot who it was. It was like a an agent was talking about. Um, how he tries to, or uh, how he tries to get his athletes that he represents to understand the value of money. He'll often, like, when they buy some watch or something, he'll tell them how much that'll be worth in 40 years, or that money would have been worth for compounding, <laughs> right? Yeah. To make them understand, like, they just paid a million and a half dollars for this watch in 10 years or whatever, 40 years or whatever. So, Wait, is, um, there, is there any precedent for for consumers becoming more educated in a particular space? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, every it's the, the, the just because you've been in this industry for so long, it doesn't mean that it's incredibly it's not incredibly nascent, right? Like, right. there's a lot of people that have no idea about this, 
And it would be hard. I, it would be hard. Now, are they going to become smart? Maybe not, right? Because that's, but are they going to become smarter than what they are right now? I, I would have to think so, right? Through some level of education information. I mean, hey, Zach Leontis is going to have a genius bar in his stadium. So there we go. Um, but there are betters out there. It's not like these are all new betters in America. I mean, most of these people were probably betting offshore with the local bookie. Um, I don't actually think are. that's true. I think there are new betters. I think there are going to be new betters. Like, I've, I've heard people say, like, oh, yeah, I, I didn't do this before because it was too hard, you know, to do or it felt wrong. It was illegal. There's more people. I think there will be new betters. So do you think it is intimidating? I mean, seeing, you know, money lines and, you know, which don't really make sense. Decimal odds make way more sense intuitively. But unfortunately, I still think in terms of, in terms of American odds and money lines. But, I mean... It's not friendly to a new better. I mean, I remember when I went out to Vegas and did it, you know, I did an internship with Las Vegas Sports Consultants back in 2007, and I had to, I was having to translate. I was like, okay, minus 300, that's 75%, you know, and, and I had to learn this. It was a new language I had to learn versus if, you know, I could just bet and say, you know, like 66% chance of winning. I mean, that's, but the thing is, that's not what the experienced better wants. That's what, it, it's more friendly to the new better. I mean, there's just but, a lot of reasons why sports betting was hard before. Right, like it, it, it was illegal. You had to like get a bookie, and yeah. like not in Las Vegas. That's fine, but more people bet in Las Vegas than do in New York, right? Because it was legal. Legal, yeah. There's more people that would casually sports bet in Las Vegas and Nevada than there were in New York, on a percentage basis. Is that sure. true? Yes. Okay. I mean, how can you, you say, say that's say, not true? I don't know. Because there's a lot of people in New York, and and you know that's a lot of bookies a in New York. Basis. Okay, I would think that, if to use a stock market example, when I first started, the, the markets were an eighth wide, so a stock would be $20 bid offered at 20 and an eighth. And it was illegal to trade inside that. It was illegal to, you know, say 2002, 2010. Entrepreneurs saw that as a ridiculous uh, situation. They built exchanges when the, when the technology got there. And now we all take it for granted that stocks are a penny wide. And... The smart entrepreneurs did that, but the customers who didn't even know what was going on, didn't demand it, didn't realize how much they were losing, just benefited from it. There's no place in the world where the markets are an eighth wide anymore. They're all a penny wide. So it only takes a small number of entrepreneurs and you know, uh, smart customers to demand a better product and a better price, and then everybody else benefits from them. And I am hoping that's what happens here. So I, I asked Aaron Kessler, who's the uh, sportsbook director or co-director of the Golden Nugget, um, why there aren't any books that offer minus 107. And he said, if we offered minus 107, people would like it a lot less because they'd have to get out change. <laughs> uh. Well, I think that might be a good one to end on. How about, how about last story from you, Jeffrey? What is, uh, I've, I've read some stuff about sort of, uh, you know, having been a trader myself, I, I know the mentality. What, what's like the, the worst sweat you've ever had? The worst sweat I've ever or had. Or either the worst sweat or the, the funniest prop bet you've ever proposed to someone. <laughs> uh, well, uh, I'm thinking of saying this, I don't know. Uh, it's, I have bet sports. I have bet on my kids' sporting events. That. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that sounds awesome. That's a great way to leave it. That you, some might find inappropriate. Did you win? Uh, the big one I won. I've lost a lot of little ones, but the big one I won, yeah. <laughs> All right, thanks for, thanks for joining us, Jeffrey. Thanks for joining us, everyone. The breakdown of data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. The bottom line is watered down. It seems like they don't get it. Puppeteers are but the engines running off a of leaded. 